us many years ago with Ruth by sending your son to die for our sins. Father, we're thankful for your, that you are love and that we, we hope and pray that we can represent that love in our lives that, that you show to us. Forgive us, Father, when we don't. And there's many times that we, we get excited or angered or whatever it may be that we don't show the love that we should show. Father, we thank you for Simon. We thank you for Chris. We thank you for all those who will participate today. And pray that you continue to bless us as we sing and pray and worship and have the Lord's Supper, Father, to commune together, to, to, to realize that it's a great time when we can be together and to be with one another and to realize how great you are to us. Father, we do pray that you will be with those, some of those that were mentioned and those that were mentioned again. Father, we do pray that you'll be with Andy and Heather and bless them in their lives together, Father. Give them a long life of service to you. And for Jackson Walker, Father, that you'll bless him and the test he's having soon, that the problems he's having will be something that can be taken care of easily, Father. For Leah Payne and for Adam Payne, Father, we ask your blessings on them at this time, and Don Kelly and others, Father, that uh, we know of, Father, family-wise, family we just pray that you'll bless them. For Terry Leap and for Judy Jordan and owner Murnahan, Father, we just, owner Murnahan, we just pray that you'll bless them as well. And as Brother Gary said, Father, we just pray that you will be with the children and the college students that are preparing to go to school, as well as the teachers that... You will keep them safe, Father, from the virus, if it be your will. And also, Father, keep them from temptation. So many things at this time that uh, when we're kind of weak anyway, uh, temptations are awfully easy to fall into. <clears throat> and we pray, Father, that you will keep us, keep them as well as us, Father, from the temptation to sin. And help us to always remember what would you do? What would your son do? How should we act? And Father, help us to get into your word and, and to realize that the peace and the comfort that comes from, from you and your word. We pray that you'll bless us to, to continue to study and continue to, to do those things that, as we have in the past. Father, continue to bless our worship this morning. Father, just help us and keep us safe each day, Father, if it be your will, and forgive us, Father, of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The scripture reading for this morning is Luke 19, verse 40. Luke 19, verse 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Our next song this morning is number 452. 452, Night with Evan Pinion.
two times this past week as uh, I was driving down the road. I think one was on the interstate and one was 60 out in Barbersville. Um, I saw someone walking along the road carrying a cross. It looked like a, a four by four, two pieces of wood uh, put together. One time uh, the person was by himself and the other time there was another person with him. And jokingly and, and unceremoniously, I thought, oh, there must be Simon Cyrene uh, following him. Um, I, I admire someone's conviction to that kind of demonstration of their commitment to God's, uh, God's word and God's will. And living that out in the fashion that they have determined to provide evidence of that. Matthew 16, 24, when Jesus says, if you want to be followers of me, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We tend to think of, of self-denial as uh, denying ourselves something of pleasure or, uh, or profit on our behalf. We, we talk about denying ourselves dessert sometimes when we are um, on a diet. Um, it goes much deeper than that. But we tend to feel good about ourselves when we do deny ourselves. The Greek word used by Jesus here uh, suggests the whole self, one commentator says. All of his natural motives and impulses so far as they come into conflict with the claims of Christ. If we don't deny ourselves in this regard, then uh, we are essentially like Peter. The same word is used there when he denied Christ um, in the outer court there. Another commentator says it is the highest type and pattern in the act by which the Son of God, in becoming man, emptied himself according to Philippians 2, of all that that constituted. Everything that Christ gave up with his position uh, in heaven, with his situation in heaven, to come to this earth was a denial of self on his part. So what does it mean to take up our cross and follow him? We all know that the cross of Jesus was indeed literal it was torturous. It was consisted of unfathomable suffering, um, struggling for the very breath of life after, uh, in, a, in a situation where his body had been beaten and tortured and uh, experienced a tremendous loss of blood. Him carrying the burden of his cross meant that he was doing all of that plus bearing the sins of man at the same time. Ours is figurative, but it manifests itself in our attitudes, our little attitudes, and our choices within our lives. And um, as Luke says, we do so on a daily basis. We deny um, ourselves and take up our cross daily. So there, in my way of thinking, there are two different types of self-denial. Um, that are taking up our cross that, that we do. First, our daily challenges, our disappointments, our struggles uh, in this life that everyone, um, not only Christians, endure 
um, or experience. And I guess the, the taking up of our cross in this regard is how we, how we handle this, how we, um, how we deal with these, and, and probably how we deal with these daily challenges, trials, uh, you know, uh, difficulties, says something about our attitude toward this life versus the, one, the next one. Um, and I would say um, it probably has something to do with carrying our cross in that regard. But probably more particularly uh, is the persecution that we live out in our lives daily in uh, our public display of our, our Christianity. Um, this is truly partaking in the sufferings of Christ, sharing his shame on the cross as he hung there uh, with criminals. And as I've suggested in classes um, over the uh, past uh, few months, um, we cannot even imagine what it was like to be a first century Christian and undergo the things that they did on behalf of sharing in the suffering of Christ. And as, I, as I've also suggested, times are changing. We're at least getting a taste of what it's like to experience the disdain of others in our education, uh, in, from our government, um, from all sorts of, of sources. So at least we're beginning to um, get a taste of that. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, carrying our cross and how we deal with that and how we stand up to that and defend our belief and I defend our hope is a part of carrying our cross. So my point with this is that every time we bear up under difficult circumstances and respond admirably, I think we are carrying our cross, particularly every time we stand up for the principles and the truth which Christ came to this earth and suffered and died for. We deny our more basic instincts of, of self-denial and self-preservation, and we take up our cross. One commentator said, he must not only be resigned to bear what is brought upon him, we, but he is also be eager to endure it, meet it with solemn joy, and be glad that he is counted worthy of it. Remember in Acts 5, when Peter and John had been taken into the council and beaten and told not to preach about Jesus anymore. It said, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his shame. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So as we partake of this memorial, consider what Jesus gave up to come to this earth and save us, and then compare that to what we have given up or haven't given up on his behalf. We will fall short in that comparison, there's no doubt, but let us be inspired to do better. Let's pray for the bread. Our Father in heaven, as we gather ourselves at this point in our worship service to commemorate the death and the burial and the resurrection of your son, we pray, Father, that each of us will consider our shortcomings, consider our efforts, and how we live on a day-to-day -day basis to give glory to you and give glory to him. Help us, Father, to never be ashamed of the cross, but to carry our crosses before our fellow man. 
As we partake of this bread, Father, we ask that you bless it, that we use it as spiritual sustenance to help us to remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. offer thanks for the cup. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fruit of the vine. We realize, Father, that it is emblematic of that precious blood that was shed on the cross for our sins, and that without the shedding of that blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, no remission of sins, no cleansing of us, and no restoration and reconciliation of us to you. We pray, Father, that as we live from day to day, that we will keep his cross and his sacrifice and his love for us, before us, as we live out our lives and as we convey our Christianity to those around us. Bless this cup. Be with us as we partake. In Jesus' name we pray. concludes the Lord's Supper. Um, because we are not passing things among, uh, among the group, we have uh, placed receptacles in the back, uh, the boxes back there uh, for your uh, weekly contribution uh, so that the work can continue here and in other places. So I would encourage you uh, before you leave uh, to do so. Thank you. If you would, let's stand. We'll sing number 694. 694.
so many of you back with us this morning. We will be in Psalm 148. We are getting <clears throat> dangerously close to the end of this series. Uh, this is uh, one of our longest running series, but I, I think Psalms is so powerful just on a regular basis, but especially when you're anxious, when you're tense, when you want to know more about God, Psalms ought to be one of the places that we run to first. Uh, it, it's just an incredibly rich study. Today we're in 148, next week we'll be in 150, and then we'll, we'll be done with this series on Psalms. I hope it's been a blessing to you. It, it's been uh, kind of fantastic for me. Psalm 148. Before we get into the psalm, though, I want to explain the scripture reading. This morning, uh, we, we were read uh, to from Luke 19, verse 40. Uh, it's an interesting uh, little passage there. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. This will be the last time that he comes into Jerusalem because the next time he, comes into, next time he leaves Jerusalem, he will be carried out. Uh, Simon of Cyrene will be carrying Jesus' cross on the next time he exits Jerusalem, and he, he'll die there on, on, uh, on, on Calvary. As he's coming in to Jerusalem this time, there is a good-sized group among the Jews that think that this is it. This is, he's the Messiah, and he is just about, I mean, he's on the verge of initiating this messianic kingdom that they've been waiting on. He's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to sit on David's throne. And they're going to get to enjoy all the, uh, the, the, the things that they had enjoyed under David and Solomon. This time of incredible peace, but also incredible prosperity. It's just about to come back. And they can see it just on the horizon. And so as Jesus enters Jerusalem, not on a white horse, the, not, on a, not on a warrior's horse, but on a donkey... Uh, he comes in and people are throwing down these palm fronds in front of him, shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're praising him because he is God. And so they don't understand everything that they're saying there, at least as not as much as what they're going to understand it very soon afterwards, after his resurrection. But they are praising him. And so the Pharisees look at his disciples, this large group. It's not just the twelve. They look at this large group and they say to Jesus, you need to rebuke these guys. Tell them to quit this because what they're doing is inappropriate. It's at that point where Jesus says these words. And he answered, I tell you, if these stones were silent, the stones would cry out. The very rocks would begin to praise God. That is where we're at this morning in Psalm 148. If you've got your Bibles, be turning to, to Psalm 148 and just kind of look it over. I'm going to give you a very quick overview of the book of Psalms itself and then, and then kind of dive into this text very quickly this morning. Um, Psalms is a book, a compiled book, an edited book. All these Psalms were not written at one point. So it's kind of tough for us to understand because we're used to maybe say like the New Testament or even the book of Jeremiah um, where one person wrote it. And you take Jeremiah or Isaiah written over several decades, but still one person wrote it during his lifetime. The book of Psalms is not like that. Uh, and so when, we're, when we approach Psalms, we can't come to it like we would Ephesians or even Revelation uh, where these, these, these letters were written, you know, in a month or a week or however long it took them to write them. Psalms is written over a thousand year time period by so many different authors and compiled later by another person. He split these books, uh, the, 
split the one big book that we know today as Psalms into five different books, each one ending with a psalm of praise. Um, psalms of praise are by far um, one of the most prevalent psalms that you'll find in this book. You'll find psalms of lament and psalms of praise, and they're about half and half make up the 150 psalms that you find here. But every book, each one of the five books of psalms, ends with a psalm of praise. And here at the very end of the book, after uh, 145 psalms have been written, the last five psalms are psalms of praise, where the psalmist just extols God for who he is, what he's done, um, the, the majesty that, that is his just by his very nature. The psalmist doesn't want us to miss that. Um, so we're going to walk through a couple of these psalms. Last week's uh, 135, Psalm 135 was a psalm of praise as well. 148 today is going to start and end in exactly the same way as 135 did. And 150 is going to start and end the same way as 135 and 148 do with praise the Lord. So it's going to end with and start with this idea of raving about God, gushing about God. That's what this word praise means so when we come to church, we praise God, right, with our songs and, and, and we extol his name. But maybe we don't completely grasp the Hebrew meaning of this word. When the Hebrews said, praise the Lord, they were not talking just about singing songs. It was a lifestyle. It was, it was, it was an overflowing heart uh, of praise for God. And so when somebody says, hey, how are you doing today? Well, listen to what the Lord has done for me today, man. Uh, I woke up today, and you just kind of go down the list. It, it's it's this, this overflowing heart of worship and praise. That, that's what they're trying to get at when they say to us, praise the Lord, in 135 and 148, and, and then next week in 150. All right, let's dive into this psalm. You probably can't see, read all that, but I want you to see this simply uh, so you can see the verse numbers. Uh, so Psalm 148, 1 through 6, is the first stanza of this song. Uh, we're familiar with stanzas, right? We sing three or four stanzas of every song. I think the last song we sang had five stanzas. This psalm... Psalm 148 has two stanzas. It's got two verses, essentially, and it's got a chorus. So Psalm 148, 1 through 4, is the first verse. It's the first stanza. Um, and then 5 through 6 is the first chorus. So let's dive into this. I think we've got time to read uh, this psalm. It says, praise the Lord. Notice very quickly, go down to the end, and you'll see praise the Lord again. So this is one of those psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you shining stars. Praise Him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Now, we sing a song about that's based on, that's taken from this passage, right? And so it's kind of hard for us to not sing that song in our heads as we walk through this passage. Uh, so I want to try to challenge you not to sing the song as you read through this passage, because if we sing the song, we, we walk through it maybe a little too quickly. Remember, we've said about psalms, these things have to be read slowly, thoughtfully. You have to kind of mull these things over. Uh, and so stop and listen to what he's saying here. If you take in the whole psalm, and we're going to do that in just a second, you'll, you'll see that he's moving from those who are closest to God, the angels, right? 
And this word, all his hosts, is literally all his armies. There are angelic armies in heaven. Uh, and you kind of get a picture of those throughout, throughout Scripture. But he's referring to those, those beings here, this is angelic hosts, his angelic armies. So those are the ones he starts with. He says, they praise the Lord. They know him very well, right? They are always in his presence. In fact, when on occasion we have the opportunity to be transported to God's throne room in Scripture in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, we see some of these angelic beings praising God. And we're told that that's all they do. They do that all the time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who was, who is, who is to come. That's what they do. And so this psalm is pointing out that fact. That's what they do. They praise the Lord. But then he doesn't stop with them, right? He says, praise him, sun and moon. So in Hebrew thinking, we kind of got to get out of our American mindset and get back into Hebrew thinking. There are three different heavens in Hebrew thinking. And so you've got the very top heaven where God reigns, where his angels are. That's the first heaven. Uh, and then the next strata, I guess, of heaven, the second heaven, would be this uh, where the sun, moon, and shining stars reside. And these things praise him too. So he's slowly working his way down, right? I mean, just geographically speaking, the psalmist is slowly making his way down to earth. Uh, interestingly enough, when Jesus died, do you remember what happened? Darkness for three hours, right? And so you could, you could really say that the sun, moon, and shining stars praise him all the time. And when he died, they mourned with heaven. Went completely black for three hours. It's just kind of, kind of amazing, right? Um, so then he moves down to the last heaven, the third heaven. He says, praise them, you highest heaven, and you waters above the heavens. He's talking about clouds there. That's, that's the things that would reside in, in the third heaven uh, is clouds. And so the idea here is you don't want to be outpraised by a cloud, do you? Ever thought about that? These inanimate objects praise God. Romans 1 would tell us about how the heavens declare the glory of God. Ought not his people declare more of his glory than those inanimate objects? I don't want to be outpraised by a cloud or by a rock. That's what Jesus said would happen as he's walking into Jerusalem. He looks at the Pharisees who are telling his disciples, he's, they're wanting him to tell his disciples to stop this, stop praising him like this. And he says, well, if I tell them to stop, even the rocks are going to cry out. It's my responsibility to praise him. He's imbued all of creation to talk about his wonder, even the things that are inanimate. It's my responsibility to do more than that, to praise him more than those things do. And it's quite the, uh, the responsibility. It's quite the high calling. Because these things obviously bring... Very much glory to God. Here's why, in the blue shaded section, here's why these things praise Him. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. His creative power. He put them there. That's why they ought to praise Him. Verse 6, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Remember in Psalm 135 last week, we talked about how if God wants it done, it gets done. He wanted them created and and it happened. And you go back through and you listen to Rick's class on Wednesday night now uh, and, and uh, the guy that were, that were uh, watching the video 
uh, is very well acquainted with some of these some of these things. He talks to you about how the heavens and the cosmos were created, and it, it's just kind of mind blowing. Kind of takes your breath away. God said it, and it happened, right? And so that's why these things praise Him. Let's move on to stanza two, the, ver- the second verse, and it starts in verse seven. He says, "Praise the Lord." From the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps. So again, he's still moving down, right? He 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 started off in the in the highest heaven with the angels, moved down to sun, moon, and stars, and then he moved down into the clouds. But now he's going to skip Earth completely, because Earth is really what he wants to focus on. In fact, what he wants to focus on is you and me. But he's not going to get there yet, because in the way Hebrews think, he's going to skip around, and they're going to immediately be able to focus on. Uh, they're going to see that he wants to focus on, on mankind on earth. So he's going to skip from the heavens all the way down here to the earth. Uh, and so he's going to talk about sea creatures and all the deeps, the, the lowest parts of the ocean. Praise God. And if you've ever done a study on some of those fish that live at the bottom of the ocean, the, the deepest places we've been able to, to get to, those things are pretty impressive, right? And you've got to say that there is a creator, a designer. Verse 5, he says, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. He's talking about inanimate objects. He's talking about weather, right? These things praise the Lord. Uh, Trees, mountains, they don't have voices, but yet they still praise God. Beasts, in verse 10, and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Again, he's drawing this contrast between the things that are on high Right, the flying birds and the things that are, that are, I mean, just on the, the very bottom of the earth, the things that slither on their bellies on the ground, uh, snakes and reptiles and lizards and stuff. And so he's trying to draw this contrast, still trying, still surging toward his point. He hasn't gotten there yet, but he's, he's, he's here now in verse 11. He says, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. These are who are to praise God. This is their rightful service, is what Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 would say. It's the thing that makes sense. Notice here very quickly, he doesn't leave out a category of people, right? Uh, if you're powerful or if you're a child, if you're a king or if you're a peasant, if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're old, if you're young, everybody ought to praise the Lord. Now, there are sheets in the back, like I did last week, on the back of the announcement sheet. In Psalm 148, there are several questions uh, that I've got for you there for you to reflect on this week. Maybe you make those family devotionals. Maybe you call up a friend and just kind of study with those, uh, through the, with those questions. Maybe they spur you on to deeper thought in this, in this uh, passage. But uh, maybe that'll help you as you walk through this again. So now he's gotten to, finally, where he wants to focus on. He wants to focus on people. All this other stuff is good, right? It's good that mountains and the weather and the sea creatures and all this other stuff praise God. But it's almost kind of like God says, well, yeah, those, those things are going to do that. It's kind of a given that they're going to do that. And so it's almost like he, it's almost like he puts those on the back burner, like he almost ignores those things because he's so focused on us on our worship of him. But it's not just mankind's worship, right? There's a specific group inside of mankind that he desires to worship him. Remember how the angels in the first couple of verses are called to worship him? Why? Why did he start there? Well, because they're closest to God 
and they ought to know more about him, so they ought to praise him. There's a subset group of people who ought to know him more and so ought to praise him better. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. We exalt some pretty crazy things. In the Old Testament, uh, you would see them exalting uh, idols. Uh, Isaiah would picture people, uh, a Jewish man going out to cut down a tree uh, and with part of the tree, he'd chop it up and he'd make firewood. With part of it, he would carve it up and make an idol and bow down and worship it. And Isaiah's like, what are you doing? His name alone is exalted. It's the only thing worthy of praise. Everything else is down here. His name is exalted. It's above everything else. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all of his saints, for the Lord, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Now, what's the deal with this horn? This is where this song pivots. Even though it's at the end, it's where the song pivots. It's the hitting point. It's the crucial point. If you wanted to summarize this verse, which is a really nice Bible study technique. If you're ever... um, wanting to dive deeper into a passage and you think, oh, I don't really know where to start with this one. Start trying to summarize it. I just put it in your own words. Very quickly, one sentence, uh, thoughts. And you'll see that this, this first 12 verses of this psalm, kind of you could summarize by saying everything praises God. Pretty quick, right? Pretty good summary. But in verses 13 and 14, you see him focusing in on a specific group of people, his people. People who are called by his name, the church, you and me. That's who he's referring to here. He says he's raised up a horn for his people. And so what's the deal with this, with this horn? Well, biblically speaking, horns are symbols of power. Uh, and you see that throughout Scripture. Uh, and it'd be fun to do, go back and do a study on that. Maybe that's what you do this week with one of your days is, is go back through and just kind of find every reference to horn in Scripture. Uh, but... <clears throat> In this particular instance, in 148, it's not just a symbol of power. It's a symbol of power that he's raised up, right? He's made it visible for everyone to see. And so what are the visible signs of power in your life from being connected to God? What are those things? Well, some of those things are the fruits of the Spirit, right? In Galatians 5, he talks about some things that ought to be apparent from our lives. Um, So, as you read through these verses, try to think of a category that the psalmist doesn't list in 148. uh, This last little section here. The psalmist starts off with the highest heavens and the angels and God's hosts, his armies. Uh, Then he moves down to the sun, moon, stars. Incidentally... um, these all stopped shining. Remember, at Jesus' death for about three hours, they all stopped shining. They were mourning with heaven. Then he moves to our atmosphere. And finally, he comes down, ultimately, to us. And our, the power that God has imbued us with, the visible signs, there ought to be something that has changed about us because that we know him. So what is that thing? What, what is, what is the, the, the visible sign of God's power in your life? 
you'd have to say that the transformation that we ought to experience as Christians is, is at least one of those things. We ought to change. There ought to, there ought to be a different mindset, right? There ought to be different priorities. There ought to be a different outlook on life. So when people see you five years from now, they say, wow, well, you, you've really changed. Like, well, yeah, Jesus got a hold of me and I changed. I'm not who I once was. I don't care about the things that he doesn't care about. Because that's kind of what happens, right? I start life caring about me, right? As I praise, guess what happens? The longer and more I praise, guess what happens? I stop focusing on me, and I start focusing on him. And the more I do that, the more I put my agenda, the things that I want on the back burner, and ultimately those things just kind of go away, and I pick up his cross. I pick up his agenda, and I do what he wants. It's a visible sign of the transformation that he demands in us. It's a horn, right? A visible sign of his power. So this morning, maybe you need uh, some power in your life. Jesus is the only one that can allow that transformation to happen inside of you. But you have to be baptized into his blood, having your sins washed away before that can ever happen. That puts you in a relationship with him, but it also saves you. It's an amazing thing he's given us, right? And the salvation in such an easy term. He doesn't make it difficult. It's just immersion into water, obedience to his will, obedience to what he wants. So maybe you got some preconceived ideas this morning on what it takes to be saved. God says obedience is where it's at. Obedience is the important part. And so, uh, why not be baptized into his blood, having your sins washed away? It's what he says in Scripture. It's the way to be connected to him. It's the way to get inside of Christ. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to be a person who is constantly focused on his praise and not your own. If you have any this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
receptacles in the back to place your offering. Our final song this morning is number 841. 841, sing and be happy. And after this, Mike will lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, thanking you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning, Father, to come together as a church family to worship you, Lord, and we thank you for the health and the ability to to do so and for giving us this place that we can worship in comfort and peace. And Father, we thank you for this great country that you've blessed us with. We just ask that you would be with us at this time, be with this country, heal us of this virus, Father, and Father, be with the upcoming elections that will be taking place. We just pray your blessings upon those, pray that godly men and women will be elected, Father, that will move us closer, back closer to you, Father, and establish policies and laws that will be in alignment with you. And Father, we uh, are mindful of all those that have been mentioned this morning that are on the prayer list that are struggling with various health issues and surgeries that may be upcoming and we just ask your blessings upon them and heal them and comfort them as only you can continue to be with those that will be returning to school father and be traveling uh, back today Uh, bless and uh, give them safe travels and just be with this upcoming uh, school year and just pray your blessings upon our kids and the teachers and Father, just um, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus, for the hope that he gives us, Father, with so many uncertainties that are ongoing around us. We cling to, to your word, and we thank you for the, the truths of it and, 
and the, uh, the certainty that, that you give us, Father. And we're just so thankful for that and pray that we continue to look towards you in all that we do. And, and our lives will always point to you, Father. And just be with us the rest of this day. Give us safe travels home and give us a good week. It's through Jesus we do pray. Amen. Thanks, Mike.